Conversations on co-production is Expert Link's free monthly meeting where people come along to chat all things co-production with like-minded individuals. These podcast episodes are taken directly from the conversations. So if you like what you hear, come along and join us by signing up via the link below. Hi everyone, it's great for you to be here. Um, So today in Conversations on Co-Production, we're going to be exploring the topic of communication and collaboration. And in particular, um, I just want us to discuss how we can improve communication between co-production parties. I've been working on a project with a number of European partners and we've used collaboration a lot. Um, but when we were doing some of the testing of the learning materials, we got feedback in Germany that collaboration wasn't the best word to use because of uh, connotations with the Second World War. So we had to change a lot of the language but, um, in Germany. And one of our, well, one of the people I do co-production with, he likes to say, understanding. Yeah, and then Ian mentioned that about the fact that you know, do you reflect back and do you say back? You don't know whether, in, and uh, and sometimes people aren't even interested to hear if that person wants to repeat back to see what they've said, as long as they've had the opportunity to speak. So there's that two-way thing again about understanding, being willing to allow people to reflect back to you and get it wrong. Yeah, and to get it wrong as well. That you know they were, they may not have heard you properly. You may not have communicated it as well as you thought you had. And I just wanted to share, uh, this morning I had a meeting with a group of people, a group of uh, people like ourselves here, I would say, and uh, it was really nice first to be reminded by that group, because I've been saying it for a while, that we have to live our co-production principles, our collaboration principles, whatever word we decide to use on that, uh, and, um, and be prepared for that, to do that in these environments, and create a safe space, not just for us and our colleagues here, but also for the staff and the professionals and whatever other word you'd want to use for them. So, and the word I like is kind. <laughs> if we're just kind to one another, hopefully a lot of these uh, big words, as it were, we wouldn't need like the co-production or collaboration. You know, so there's an idea. It's really different, I find, um, face-to-face or online. You know, there's different ways of doing it and to make sure that everyone um, feels listened to. So. I don't know if anyone has any um, sort of top top tips for people in terms of allowing people that space to feel heard. Like what what things do you use to in meetings and whatnot? We can live in a world sometimes where it's a bit we're all talking, we're all listening basically to think of our responses rather than actually genuinely kind of listening to what that person has to say or we're always got a mind on something else or thinking about something else or we're trying to move on to something else. So I think actually somebody knowing they've got your own divided attention, I think that's something that's just priceless. And I wanted to remind us about um, a little bit about what happened during COVID. We're all online now. You all see everybody's shoulders and up sort of thing, you know, that body language, which takes, I don't know, was it 56 or 70% or, or whatever it is, or is originally just the face. We're back to just the face now, I think, to the original study. And and I think, you know, we're having to work with that, but also we've actually all got a bit more in touch with people who have sensory loss. 
the NI because not always your mic works or not always your, your speaker works or not always your, you can't quite hear people properly, you know, and we've all had a little bit of a inkling as to what it is like for people who have, have sensory loss. Yeah, and so I think that's been very valuable. The um, the other thing that Kirsten said there about um, about uh, listening, you know, what's, what's, what's the most scary part of any meeting? I would say being asked to introduce yourself. And there's not many of us yet who can actually introduce ourselves with, at the same time listen to everybody else's introduction. Because you're waiting till it's your turn. If you get it out of the way early, then that's not so bad. But, uh, but yeah, I would advise people to practice their introduction, right? Just saying who they are. To the point where you can do it without worrying about it so you can actually listen to other people's introduction. There you go. Um, one thing that's the most difficult thing in groups, as I thought everyone was going to say it, we didn't, is silence. And what usually happens, I used to run, run a therapeutic group. I know at the beginning when I started running them, I had to feel that silence. I was scared. Now, at my old feeble age, I know the power of silence. And, it's, and that actually allows the people, should allow, in theory, the people who don't want to talk to talk. But sometimes they don't, and that's okay. But it should always be... But usually you go to groups that nobody mentions silence, you know. And then you find somebody talking because they're scared of the silence. That thing about silence, and well, they started um, doing interviews for a place called Post, um, social enterprise PR business, and I was talking to all about business owners, and I, I transcribed my own interviews for a while, and it was that was how I, I basically learned to interview because I, I, mean, I just noticed how I was pushing people, I wasn't letting them speak. I think they'd answered, but then on when I was transcribing, I'd realized I was actually interrupting them a lot more than I thought I was. But I've kind of developed this way now of every time I ask a question, I tap my hand three or four times just to give it that bit of space. And it's amazing how much richer the interviews are as a result. Because someone will answer the question, then they think for a second, and then comes the really good stuff. You know? But transcribing your own interviews is, is the best way to learn how to do it, it really is. When people join a meeting, particularly online, um, when there's a lot of um, almost time pressures to get your point across and not take up too much of the time, um, that can be quite daunting um, to feel like you're under pressure to really articulate your point. And also a lot of people feel very on the spot if they're asked a question. So some tips around that that I, I find useful are sharing the questions in advance where possible so people have some thinking time beforehand. Um, and that also allows people to like make notes as well. So if that helps them to articulate what they want to say, they've got that to, to draw on in the meeting. Um, and also rather than asking people to pose a question or to answer a question, um, having at the end a space for just general reflection so people can add a comment or a reflection that isn't necessarily in response to a direct question. Um, and that's a good way of drawing people in that maybe don't feel able to volunteer an answer but still want to volunteer their their reflections on it could be on the meeting itself or it could be on the theme or an associated um related theme um, 
but yeah, some some ideas that I thought I'd share. About a personal experience, it's um, and but let's not offend me, but continuing or mentioning what the person say. Other people in fields where I'll say something, and then they those one on or the interview just want something else and that way unless I've been heard of all and it's my contribution that is within me yet because everything that I'm saying it just looks like it's like we'll move on to the next thing and no one's yeah you've said about sort of acknowledging what people have said you know especially if people are asking or if they're asking a question, they're expecting answers or, you know, any sort of contribution, I think it leaves you feeling really deflated if there's not even a small acknowledgement, the fact that you've contributed in some way. So, yeah, I really, yeah, I really can see where, where you're coming from with that. I, I, I like most about the meetings I was in, especially with the health, health, health groups and what have you, was that I could put stuff in the chat as and when I wanted to. Uh, later on, when we got more of a diverse group, uh, for a variety of reasons, not so, uh, you know, staff-orientated, the people there that didn't like that because they didn't get to see what was being said in the chat. So we had to have, somebody had to read it out, which is fine, and contribute it through that way. It still meant that those that are putting in the chat, in fact, it's even better because they know that it's raised in the meeting. But the, what I'm trying to say is, is that uh, all these solutions can often exclude as well, <laughs> you know, in one way or another. So it, it is quite a unique thing. If you're doing a Miro board, you know these sorts of boards that you have and can't input there, put it in the chat, get it on the board as well. But it means more facilitate, really, and support than you would normally, normally allocate to a project. So it is definitely a costing thing. One of the reports has been talking recently about the need for a charter, a kind of agreement that um, that volunteers should sign basically and obviously you know it's a thing that people go oh hold on a minute is that going to limit um, you know what they can do is this going to sort of you know because there's a freedom in the volunteering but the point would be you know is, is to is to protect people from being overused and this quite often happens when you're in recovery you're asked to do something and it's almost like you can't say no and I was certainly like that for a while I feel like I owe it to the world to put something back and you know you're almost apologizing for the things you've done wrong in a lot of ways so you find it very hard to say no to stuff and I think it's really important that there's these sort of protections in place or this sort of you know but quite often people are the same people are asked they feel like they have to say yes and they quite often overdo it and there doesn't seem to be anything there to protect people at the moment. And I just thought that idea of a sort of charter or an individualized sort of agreement that volunteers would sign would be something that could protect them in a One of the things that people ask for AOB things at the start of the meeting. So that if you've got something on your chest or, you know, that you want to share, you can get to the end of the meeting wondering if you're going to get a chance to say it. What do you think your contribution has been during that meeting? Not much, really, because you're busy thinking about that. So you get, you don't have to deal with it then. You still have it at the end, but you make sure there's time. But quite often it gets dealt with. 
because you raised it in the conversation by actually putting it on the AOB and it actually just gets involved in all those sorts of things. And uh, somebody touched it. I think Nelly or somebody said about at the end of the meeting, you just go round and you ask, what did you think of the meeting? Did it go well? How can we improve it? Is there anything you haven't said you wanted to say? We surely touched on that one as well because I was at a meeting today and there was somebody, that they came late. We didn't say anything through the meeting. I wasn't the chair and and I didn't, I should have probably said what about, but I didn't want to put her on the spot either because <laughs> it's her choice whether she speaks or not. But as a chair, you can ask people that, can't you? Yeah, because you're the chair and you're doing your job. Um, but I didn't want to do that as a, as a, as a member of that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think the AOB worked really well and it really does open up the space for many people to contribute. One of the key things coming out is about knowing your audience and also asking um, people what their communication needs and preferences are in advance. Um, going back to like speaking the same language as well, like um, a lot of the tools that people have briefly mentioned now, like there's accessibility questions around those, not, not only in terms of access accessibility um, from a disability point of view, but also that digital exclusion that's been touched on as well. Um, but just some, some points really, like some of the inclusive practice that we think we're doing can sometimes be an additional challenge or barrier for cer certain groups of people. So again, I think that was mentioned earlier, but one example of that is if you're deaf and you're using the, the transcriptions um, to follow the conversation, that can create quite a bit of a time lag for you to then be able to respond. So that's, that's a consideration. But then if, as well as that, you've got contributions in the chat coming through you're trying to effectively read a live conversation at speed and keep up with the chat at speed so that can then um, exclude that person um, and if you're a blind participant and you're perhaps joining a virtual session with a screen reader that's again reading out the chat comments as they come through the screen will be reading that to you over the actual speakers so again that can really create an additional barrier so I think one of the crucial things is understanding who your audience is and asking them, not assuming, um, what what you can do to make the experience inclusive for them and taking into account any accessibility needs. Um, but that can be done in advance. You can ask people their preferences, their methods of engagement that they prefer. Um, you can also ask things like their availability as well. So going back to the point uh, I think Matt, Matt mentioned about scheduling meetings, if you know there's preferred availability or times people aren't available at all, then that can be factored into planning as well.